Good news, good news, good news. Welcome to this Good News Friday edition of the Bottom Line Show. I'm Roger Marsh, and we have good news to share with you about the Bible, about prayer, about, oh my goodness, we have... uh, We have multiple giveaways today here. We've got some wonderful good news stories to share with you. And, uh, well, you can just start dialing right now. Whenever we get a Good News Friday giveaway, um, I like to encourage people to call in and win. Because sometimes, every now and again, Crystal and Joel kind of conspire. They don't tell me what's going on behind the scenes. And Todd never tells me. But sometimes they get together and they say, you know what, we have extra stuff that we want to give away. And, um, you know, our listeners are really cool. It's been a hot summer. We had that whole rain thing last weekend. They deserve a break. So here we go. Okay, so if you call 800-227-5278 today, I could pretty much almost guarantee you're going to win something if you want to win something. If you just want to call in and say, hey, you know, I just want to call in, that's fine too. But uh, we're going to get into a book about prayer Uh, It's a great devotional book. It's a 365-day devotional book about how to refresh your prayer life. We're going to talk about a variety of other, uh, you know, encouraging stories, bipartisan immigration bill on Capitol Hill. Can you believe it? And one of the world's oldest people. um, It's kind of fun when you talk about people who've been living for a long time. My parents are both 90. And one of the world's oldest living residents of the United States of America has a daughter who's 94. I, those stories just make me smile. <laughs> they really do. We're going to talk about that and actually get into a little bit about why longevity can be a blessing here in this life and why sometimes there are people who really wrestle with, gosh, Lord, I'm 80, I'm 90, my body isn't feeling as good as it used to. Heck, I've said that at 62, you know. Uh, <laughs> I'm sure a lot of people have. But there's so much to talk about and to have discussion about, and I think that's the important thing as we give glory to God for the opportunity to, um, to have dialogue, to have conversation, to have discussion about the things of, what was it, the, uh, uh, the, the Rich Mullins had that record years ago called Things of Heaven, Stuff of Earth. And um, those are things that we do need to discuss. Uh, last weekend, I watched the Tim Keller memorial service. Uh, you remember Tim Keller, Bible teacher, um, his... Uh, Bible study, I think, was on a couple of our Crawford stations, not on KBRT locally, but he was the a pastor. It was a Redeemer Presbyterian Church. He was part of the Presbyterian Church of America, which is the more conservative branch of uh, the Presbyterian Church in the U.S. There's PCUSA, Presbyterian Church USA, that's really liberal and uh, almost progressive. And then there's the Presbyterian Church in America. And then there's the ECO, I think it's called the Evangelical Covenant Order, which are basically PCUSA churches that uh, said, hey, forget it. You guys went too far to the left with gay marriage and stuff like that, and we're our own different denomination. They didn't join the PCA. They joined the BCOs for a new organization. And watching Tim Keller's service, though, was very interesting to me. There's some subtle things that I picked up on that I just wanted to share uh, as we get started here on the program today because I think they're kind of glory to God moments. For openers, the hymns that were sung, were very kind of traditional hymns. Um, I liked that. It was nice to hear them toward the end saying, for all the saints from who their slumbers rest. I mean, that's something I grew up singing in the Lutheran church. And it was nice to see a bunch of Presbyterians singing it at St. Peter's or so St. Patrick's Cathedral in New York. Cardinal Dolan was there. And Tim Keller, even though he had one of the largest Presbyterian church in America churches in on the East Coast, 
they held his service at a Catholic cathedral. Now, that in and of itself, I thought, was a very, very interesting statement. It showed the power of the friendship between Cardinal Dolan and Dr. Keller. But also, I think it was kind of, a, it was done, I don't want to say, it wasn't done spitefully, but it was definitely done intentionally for a Protestant uh, pastor of the ilk of Tim Keller to have his family request that the uh, funeral service, well, memorial service, there's no, no casket there, uh, be held in a Catholic church. Because if you've ever been to Catholic Mass for those who are no longer with us, you know that they're going to take communion, and at some point they're going to tell everybody who's not Catholic to not take communion. And the, the idea that they, they didn't take communion at this service, but that the uh, House of God for the Catholic Church in New York, the Archdiocese, you know, said, yeah, go ahead and do it. I thought that was a very, very helpful uh, thing to see. And then the singing, of course, and then it was interesting. Here, here's this woman who uh, was the worship singing leader person who, after singing that penultimate song, the next to last tune of that hymn that I love so dearly, uh, Sam Allerby gave the homily, and Sam was just spectacular. He's got. If you've not seen the work of Sam Allerby, I highly recommend you check it out. Um, he just he's English pastor uh, speaks to a lot of the issues of the day. Uh, I'll just leave it at that. You can look up his stuff um, with biblical clarity and uh, great wisdom. And then at the very end, to have this kind of operatically trained soprano. Oh, Max McLean, by the way, you know, Fellowship for, for Performing Arts. Uh, Max does his great C.S. Lewis stuff. Max lived in New York for how many years? He comes to the bottom line once a year because he comes out in the summer to visit his mom, who lives in Tustin. She's neighbors with my sister. And he usually is doing some kind of performance, maybe at uh, uh, South Coast Rep or Barclay Theater or something like that here in Southern California. But, you know, Max and Fellowship for Performing Arts have been uh, notorious for doing these fantastic stage productions of C.S. Lewis. And uh, so kind of in Lewis' character, Max read uh, several selected uh, passages from the works of C.S. Lewis that were very, very special to Tim Keller, and he sounded spectacular and, and looked great as well. But then to end the service with the song that was uh, probably best known as a Keith Green song, but it was actually written by his, his wife, Melody, there is a redeemer and to hear this woman in an operatic soprano singing there is a redeemer i mean it's a very very simple melody any youth group could pick it up jesus god's own son precious lamb of god messiah holy one thank you oh my father for giving us your son and leaving your spirit till the work on earth is done it's such a simple yet profound declaration of the gospel and how beautiful to hear that song you know in kind of a multi uh, not multi-generational but uh uh, multi-platform style, you know, in a Catholic church, an operatic soprano singing Keith and Melody Green songs. Um, man, I'll tell you, it was just, it was absolutely gorgeous to hear. So if you get a chance, uh, at the same time, it was a little stuffy and it was, it did feel a little rushed, but I understand that, you know, different parts of the country have different ways of doing uh, their honoring. I would really encourage you though, uh, to watch it, number one, but number two, to be thinking about mortality in this life and what that statement is going to say. I remember my mom uh, telling me just shortly before 
uh, the first time, uh, <laughs> walk someone down the aisle. And uh, she said, remember, your, your, your wedding is the way you kind of introduce yourself to the world. And your funeral is kind of the way you say goodbye. But here's the thing about the memorial service or the funeral, depending on it's a funeral if you have a body uh, there, the casket, and it's a memorial service if they've already been cremated or already interred uh, or buried. And at the end of life, though, I think it's important to recognize that the life happened. I, I'm seeing more and more people who are getting to the end of days and they're, you know, all of them, we're not going to have a service. You know, we're not going to, it's, it's kind of like I wasn't even here. And I, 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 I can understand why that happens. Sometimes I've been to some funerals, I've been part of funerals, where the recognition for the departed is really kind of pained. Families that you thought, wow, these are really tight family, really great family, struggle to find kind things to say. Or people you know are really good parents and their kids get up there and go, uh, and they don't know what to say about them. And I thought, boy, I, I would be, I would feel horrible as a parent if my kids didn't know how to properly articulate who I was to other people once I was departed. In the same way that my brother and sister and I have been practicing for years to make sure that we don't screw up our parents' services when those happen. Not happening anytime soon. For anyone who's listening right now, we are not practicing couple of years ago, we went through this. Somebody started spreading misinformation about my father. And uh, I had to spend a lot of time on the phone calling people saying, no, 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 that's not, no, no, that he's still very much with us. And mom and dad are still very much with us. But just watching that uh, end of day service for Tim Keller was very, very encouraging uh, to see that, uh, that he in fact was properly feted, though I, I would have, I would have wanted it to be a little more well, a little less formal, a little more, have a little more breath in it, you know, but uh, nonetheless, I think it was nice service. Um, get it started with the good news part of the good news service. Of course, the gospel was preached mightily at Tim Keller's service, and I'm glad it was. It's also being preached in a place that it hasn't been preached in quite some time here in the U.S., and that is in public schools. Now, it's really easy for us as Christians to kind of get lost in the, oh, well, you know, Madeline Murray O'Hare, there's no prayer in school and religious liberty and separation of church and state, so we, we don't get to do anything like this anymore. But there's an Ohio-based ministry called the LifeWise Academy, L-I-F-E, Wise Academy, that is providing biblical education to students in public schools. They're in 11 states right now. They are in 300 schools. Joel Penton is the founder of LifeWise. And he said this, this is a program that they launched in the fall of 2019. And then, of course, guess what happened? It's release time religious ed instruction for public schools. There used to be a group called Release Time Public Education. And they got sued and sued and sued some more. Um, but release time programs involve public school students getting the opportunity to be released from campus during school hours to take part in religious instruction. And that is... a only because of a, well, Supreme Court decision in 1952, Zorach versus Claussen, uh, where this was happening in school, somebody challenged it, and the Supreme Court said, no, that you can actually do it. It basically requires the permission of the parents, of course, and the school has to say, you can't just show up with a you know, trailer in, in the parking lot and say, hey, kids, come out to the public, in public school, kids, let's learn about the Bible. That doesn't happen. But when the program first launched, they were in about 100 schools, uh, they went from 133 schools last year to 315 today. 
They started in Ohio, and they've since branched out into Arkansas, Georgia, Illinois, Indiana, Iowa, Kansas, Pennsylvania, Tennessee, Virginia, and West Virginia. By the way, please notice, if you're keeping score along with us at home, that of those 11 states, there's a pretty equal smattering of red states and blue states where this is happening, where the public school is cooperating with the parents, which is also cooperating with the students themselves and giving kids the opportunity to enjoy this program. And the fact that there are now 30,000 kids that are getting this new version of release time education in public school does my heart good, does your heart good, especially as it uh, pertains to the uh, just the basics. How many kids find their lives improve when they learn the basics of prayer and Bible study? It's amazing how, you know, when the scripture tells us that the word of God does not come back void, just hearing it, just reading it, just meditating on it makes things better in your life. And in a world where um, there's demands and distractions that want to help you, uh, rob you of your joy and overwhelm you, it's amazing how taking that intentional time each day to pray, to study God's word, can really be a huge benefit. Um, Author Karen Moore is a Bible teacher. She is a writer. Uh, She's written over 100 inspirational and devotional books, and she specializes in the morning devotion, as it were. She wrote a book not too long ago, earlier this year, called Prayers to Strengthen Your Soul, 365 Daily Prayers, Refresh Your Prayer Life, and Connect with God. There's a link for the book up at thebottomlineshow.com, and we have at least two, possibly three copies of this book to give away. Joel and I were going back to the library before the show. We'll let you know the final tally at the end of the conversation. 800-227-5278, the number to get you through to the bottom line. Author Karen Moore joins me to talk about prayers to strengthen your soul. Coming up next is this Good Friday edi- Good News Friday edition of the Bottom Line Show continues in a moment. You know the old expression, a picture is worth a thousand words? Well, if you're an expectant mom and you go to a pregnancy health center that is in partnership with Preborn, one picture can say way more than that. And that picture I'm talking about is an ultrasound picture. Every donation that goes to Preborn goes to providing ultrasounds for women who are expecting children and they want to know what all of their options are. When you call 833-850-BABY right now, you give a gift of $28 that provides one ultrasound. But if you give a gift toward the purchase of an ultrasound machine, now that's a $15,000 investment, but every ultrasound machine can do 250 ultrasounds per year and lasts a minimum of 10 years. That's 2,500 ultrasounds available to women right now. Think of all the babies, thousands of babies' lives that will be saved by your donation to preborn right now. Call 833-850-BABY. 833-850-BABY. That's 833-850-2229. Make your best donation right now. $50, $100. Maybe you want to give $15,000. It's completely tax deductible. We've had a couple of bottom line listeners step up and do just that. 833-850-BABY. 833-850-BABY. That's 833-850-2229. Call Preborn right now. Well, today here on The Bottom Line, we're going to embark on a journey. And the great thing about this journey is it's a year-long quest. 
but it's the type of thing that you can start any time of year. And so there's no time like the present. Karen Moore is with me today here on The Bottom Line. She's the author of over 100 inspirational and devotional books and, and quite the practitioner of morning devotions. Uh, she is a, a, a conference speaker and a blogger and has a brand new book out. And the reason I make the one-year mention and the one-year reference is the fact that it does have 365 daily prayers, but it's something you could start even today. The book is called Prayers to Strengthen Your Soul, 365 Daily Prayers, Refresh Your Prayer Life, and Connect with God. And there's a link for the book up at thebottomlineshow.com. Karen Moore, welcome to The Bottom Line Show today. Thank you so much for having me. Delighted. Let's talk. Well, I was going to say, let's talk about devotional prayer, if we can, okay. because I think for a lot of times, a lot of people, if we're honest, our okay. prayer life goes like this. I'm in a jam, or I'm in front of a meal. Or I'm about to take a test, or we're waiting for the check to come, or something like it's very situational, it's very transactional. Yeah. But what you're writing about in this book has a lot more to do with the connection with God and refreshing yourself spiritually. Talk about what your uh, what your aim is with this resource. Yeah, that's exactly right. My hope with a book like this is to remind us that prayer, first of all, is a privilege. And it's an opportunity all the time, you know, not just when we're in a jam or in a rush or all of those other things, but that that the first thing we need and the most thing we need is to know that God wants to hear from us. Mm -hmm. And he wants to know what's going on in our lives because he knows us so intimately anyway. And our job is to get to know him. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. <laughs> and what better way than to spend time with him devotionally, to spend time with him in prayer and to talk to him as often as you possibly can. Because the more you do that, the more you can hear what he has to say right back to you. And it becomes a real conversation. Why do you, well, Karen, why do you think it is that we are reticent to, or hesitant to, to do this? I think maybe for some, it might be the way we were brought up. You know, we pray in church, we pray before meals, you know, we pray right. when there's something big happening, but it's not the ongoing dialogue that we see unfolding in the pages of scripture. Why do you think that many people are drawn to a resource like yours saying, wow, I didn't realize how badly I needed this book? <laughs> <laughs> I, I think that we have gotten used to what we know about prayer and that we, we rely on the things that we learned in church, that we learned at home, that if, if we did have a family that prayed at dinner, we, we do that because we did it then. And what mm -hmm. I think I'm after here to, is to help us see that we, there's so much more. It's so much mm. bigger and it can be so much more exciting yeah. uh, to really get a connection going with God every single day and many, many times a day, actually. Karen Moore is my guest today here on The Bottom Line. I'm Roger Marsh. Her book is called Prayers to Strengthen Your Soul, 365 Daily Prayers, Refresh Your Prayer Life, and Connect with God. We have a link for the book up at thebottomlineshow.com. And I should point out, for those who are, um, I have some friends who are in the Greek Orthodox tradition, some who are Catholic, where there are, you know, kind of common prayers that are common to uh, that side of the faith journey, you're... It, basically modeling this for us. It's not necessarily that we have to memorize all 365 and then we'll draw closer to God. I mean, that, I mean, I, I say that somewhat tongue in cheek, but I would imagine that a lot of people who are process driven might say, okay, good. If I, where's the prayer for, you know, that type of thing, but it's really more about the exercise, isn't it? Actually getting involved. It, it's more about the exercise than yes, these prayers are often topically driven, uh, but you know, things come up that we never expected, don't they? Mm -hmm. And sometimes we don't have a handy prayer in our back pocket that works just for what we wanted. And the more we get comfortable um, 
And you asked before a little bit about why we might hesitate to talk to God more often. I, I think we all have a little concern about, gosh, am I, do I feel like I'm right with God enough for him to want to listen to me? Mm. You know, I've actually had people say to me, well, I don't think God wants to hear what I have to say. And I think that's so not true. <laughs> I think the opposite is true. I think that no matter what we've been through, this is the king of forgiveness, the Lord of faithfulness. You know, this is the per the one, the one being who actually wants to hear you probably even more than anyone else does. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it's, so, it's very, yeah, go ahead. Finish your yeah, thought. Well, I'm, I'm just thinking that this, this, it can be exciting to be a prayer person, actually, mm -hmm. but but I think we've lost a little bit of that when we get used to a level of prayer and we don't try anything else. Mm. Karen Moore is my guest today here on The Bottom Line. I should mention that we have KarenMoreAuthor.com up at TheBottomLineShow.com. She's a conference speaker. She's a blogger and, and actually comes from an educational background. Uh, talk about why... That how did that morph into what you're doing now? Over a hundred devotional books, and you know, talking to uh, to people and at women's conferences and things like that. But right now, the 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 ministry focus is, hey, let's take some time for God every day. Let's let's make sure that we start off with prayer. How did you make that uh, transition from the educational world into this? You know, from the time I was a child, I thought I was going to be a teacher. Mm -hmm. And I remember my second grade teacher always left me in charge of the class. And <laughs> I just said, from now on, I'm going to just, this is my goal. And it was my goal. And I taught fifth, sixth, seventh, and eighth grade reading in English. Mm -hmm. uh, I've also taught at the college level a few times. And I love it. I love that kind of interaction and watching people get something for the first time and, and express themselves uh, in new ways. So all of that was good for me, but ultimately I started feeling like I needed to do a little bit more with what I do personally as a writer. And I'd been writing most of my life. And so I had an opportunity to go from teaching to um, an industry not many people know that much about, but the greeting card industry. Mm. And it was an exciting chance uh, for me. And I, I learned a lot about how you write for people you don't know, how you put yourself in every potential situation that they face in this life. Um, you know, weddings and funerals and babies and graduations and Christmas and every holiday. And as a writer there, I had to try to relate to those people enough to say something that might mean something to them. Mm -hmm. And that kind of writing actually helped shape me, mm. I think, as a devotional book writer, because mm -hmm. again, I have a short space to try to say something meaningful. You know, I love, well, I love what you're sharing, Karen, and I, I'm resonating with this because I come from a family, my, my wife says, well, you're the card people. Um, I, I learned this from my mom and dad and my grandmother before that, that there's a greeting card for every occasion. Yes. And, and if you find the right store, typically a Hallmark store, not to sell, you know, their uh, wares here on the air, yes. but I mean, that's typically where you find them. When you find that right card where someone says, yes, how did the writer of this know? And then you give it to somebody and they'll look, I don't know how many times, especially my adult children, my daughters in, in particular, will say, dad, how did you find this? It's so perfect for us. And I'm thinking of 335 million people on planet earth, how did they write something that is so universal? And yet I can see Karen, where as an educator, as a writer, 
how God used that season to refine your skills, not only for your devotional book writing, but for helping us to be able to communicate with the Almighty in a much deeper level, because you weren't just saying, okay, I'll throw this out there and hopefully someone will buy it. You really did have somebody in mind with what you exactly. were writing. Exactly. Uh, yeah. Always, in fact. And often in the greeting card business, we'd be writing all those Christmas cards, you know, in July. So yeah. you had to, you know, play a little music in your, <laughs> in your little booth <laughs> and try to get yourself ready for that. Uh -huh. And, you know, the, it kind of happens that way when I write a book now, when I do this book, like the prayer book that is just out, I start with thinking about all the potential reasons why we need to pray. Mm. And I, I actually make a list for myself of 366 topics that I think might be helpful if I needed to go to those and pray about those mm. and then find scriptures that I think, you know, would be blessed to go with them. So Boy, that's good. That's good wisdom. Karen Moore is my guest today here on The Bottom Line. The brand new book that she just mentioned is called Prayers to Strengthen Your Soul, 365 Daily Prayers, Refresh Your Prayer Life and Connect with God. We've got a link for the book up at thebottomlineshow.com. More of this conversation in just a moment as The Bottom Line continues. Welcome back to The Bottom Line Show. I'm Roger Marsh. Karen Moore is my guest. We're talking about her book called Prayers to Strengthen Your Soul. And this is a uh, delightful read. It's something that's very helpful. It's a stylish looking book too. 365 daily prayers, refresh your prayer life and connect with God. We have at least two, possibly three copies of this book to give away today. Um, Tamara gave me the notes for the today's program and said it was two. Joel and I were looking back on the counter. I could have sworn I saw three. Anyway, you're going to win something. 800-227-5278. 800-227-5278. 800-227-5278 is the number to get you through to the bottom line. If you have been feeling stressed of late and you wonder why it seems like God is not answering your prayer, I want to submit to you that what we're discussing here is important. How often are you praying during the day? Is it even once? I mean, in Karen's book, she lines out a year's worth of daily prayers that are relatively short, but amazing how when you get caught up in the busy and you can't shut off all those screens, you know, in your mind, all you, can, you can't find the red X's fast enough to get them to kind of go away. This is the kind of resource that'll just help you on a very simple, basic way get your prayer life back in focus and reconnect with the Lord in a powerful way. Prayers to Strengthen Your Soul by Karen Moore, 800-227-5278 is the number to get you through to the bottom line. We'll conclude this conversation on the other side of this break as the bottom line continues. You're a Christian who's been injured, so you need Christian attorney Stephanie Cover of Cover Law to fight for you. With Stephanie, it's not just a routine legal process, it's a spiritual battle. She understands that a legal fight involves more than flesh and blood. It means confronting principalities and powers, and that's why she consistently prays with and for her clients. She forms long-lasting relationships with her clients, just as you would expect from someone who engages in spiritual battle alongside another believer. Praise for Stephanie pours in through cards, thank you texts, and letters from clients who thank her for checking up on them, coming to see them in the hospital, praying, and even finding alternative care when current care is inadequate. Inspired by Jesus' command to love one another, Stephanie uses her skill as an attorney and knowledge of insurance processes to fight for your completeness and healing. Don't wait any longer. Contact Stephanie Cover today at kbrightradio.com slash cover and let her take up your spiritual battle. 
Karen Moore is my guest today here on The Bottom Line. I'm Roger Marsh. She's a blogger. KarenMoreAuthor.com is where you'll find uh, the information about all of the things that she writes and uh, information about the more than 100 devotional books that she's written, former educator. Turning Up the Light is the name of the blog, I believe, Karen. Is that the one you're still working on right now? That's correct, yes. Okay. Um, it, very encouraging work that Karen does. And, uh, uh, well, it has to be encouraging. I mean, the, I, I don't know which would be more challenging, Karen. I didn't ask you this in the first segment. The fact that you raised six children um, or that you taught middle school for as long as you did. My goodness. I mean, now that is a, one of my best friends in high school. His dad was a middle school math teacher. Absolutely loved it. And then I don't mind saying this afterwards, when he ended his life, the last four years of his life, he did have dementia. Um, you uh -huh. know, and I don't know if that was related to being with seventh and eighth grade boys trying to teach them math. I'm not sure. But it, it, it definitely could have fallen into that. Yeah. yeah and yeah. Um, um, I actually need to clarify that I have three of my own children and my husband has three. So we're a go. blended okay. family. So uh -huh. we have six together. Okay. But, um, and they were, they're all adults and so far doing okay in the world. <laughs> mm -hmm. I love it. I love it. Well, speaking to a father of three who's now married to a mother of three, we're in the same configuration. Alrighty. And, so and you, every day there's a little high five <laughs> fist pound going on, going, all right, they're still okay. Everybody's Yay, out God. there. Okay. That's Nobody right. had to live at home again. Okay. Right, right. Yeah. Praise the Lord for that. Hey, <laughs> uh, one of the reasons why, you know, we hear my pastoral ministry, I, I hear from a lot of people who will want to pray. And, you know, that's like, will you pray over me? Because I don't know what to say. You know, will you speak into this? Because it just seems like, and you could hear what they don't want to verbalize, but what they're really saying is I've prayed. I don't feel like God's answering. And now I'm discouraged. I, I've stopped praying or I start praying. And then all of a sudden squirrel, you know, I mean, I just, I can't, <laughs> I can't focus in on the one thing though. I would imagine those are two pretty common topics of discussion for people needing to kind of get their prayer life back on track. Talk about that if you would. I agree that those are difficult and, and they can even be difficult, I, I think, for me every now and then. But the thing that I try to remember is, first of all, I try to chase the distractions away because honestly, I think this is like Satan's favorite tool, you know, oh, just, yeah. to, just to keep us off the track. I mean, anyway, mm -hmm. um, I often think of the the book C.S. Lewis, the Screw Tape Letters, you know, because he had so much fun coming up with little ways to get us, you know, away from God. Mm. Well, okay, so if I could even just say to myself, "Hold on, I'm not letting you get me off the track," mm -hmm. I could start over. Mm -hmm. I think other things happen, like I prayed over this for like five years and nothing has changed, mm. and. That does happen, um, it, it, or at least in our perspective, it happens. I think what we can do then is just remind ourselves that we can continue to pray that God is still listening and ask for a different way to see this, maybe to see this issue or that you need to hear from him in a different way or that maybe somebody would come into your life and help speak into it in a different way. Mm -hmm. So pray about it in a different way than you usually do. And sometimes that can get you back to mm. uh, being able to talk about it. Uh, you know, so, yeah, I think we it, it's it's a, a difficult world we live in. And um, the best we can do, I think, is to keep understanding that we're not by ourselves 
ever. <laughs> yes. Amen to that, Karen Moore, my guest today here on The Bottom Line. Prayers to Strengthen Your Soul is the new book, 365 Daily Prayers. Refresh your prayer life and connect with God. Uh, the link is up at thebottomlineshow.com. Karen, every time I'm involved in a memorial service or a funeral, mm -hmm. uh, some kind of remembrance for someone who is no longer with us, there's always at least one person who shows up and kind of illustrates, if you will, what you were just talking about. Mm -hmm. It's the estranged adult child or maybe the ex-spouse, or maybe there was a brother and sister situation. I remember one time in particular, a family came to me after there had been a death, a passing in the family, uh, grandma, her daughter, daughter's husband, and their children. And there was so much animosity because things that had happened and whatever it was. And they said, look, there's going to be this funeral and we just can't go because it's just so bad. And I said, well, the it's obviously eating you alive, isn't it? You know, and they said, yeah, it is. And so we prayed. We had a time at the altar after a worship service one Saturday night to just kind of release all that and and mm -hmm. and give them the, the freedom that they needed because this had been building up for probably 20 years. And I thought, oh my goodness, that's one example. I think one of the things that has impressed me with the joy of, in the, of discovering your book, Prayers to Strengthen Your Soul, is the fact that when you talk about the prayers that people are in fact having a hard time praying or the things that you cover, the different topics, all 365 in your book, uh, you're speaking to things that are very, very specific and universal all at the same time. It, it's true. And everyone has hurtful memories. Everyone suffers in one way or another from something that happened to them at some time in the past. But, you know, scripturally, we, you know, we were reminded, pray, pray for those who hurt you, pray for your mm -hmm. enemies, pray for the people that, you know, you don't quite understand or who don't see things the way you see them. And I think the more we can do that, the more we can open our heart and our minds and our eyes to actually discovering there could have been more to it than we knew um, mm. and seeking forgiveness for our part in it and asking, you know, God to help us with those things. KarenMoreAuthor.com is where you'll find her Turn of the Light blog, and you'll find information about the more than 100 books that she's written. Today, we're talking about this brand new book, Prayers to Strengthen Your Soul. Karen, how can we best utilize this? I mean, here during this Lenten season and this season of uh, Pentecost, and it's a really kind of an on-fire time for the church right now as we think about the formation of the church, uh, mm -hmm. of course, the death and resurrection of Christ, you know, kind of setting the tone for the new uh, covenant that we have with the Lord. And this may be a time of renewal. We've seen some of the revivals happening on college campuses over the past couple of months, and I, I get the sense that there's kind of a renewal happening. And yet at the same time, the statisticians are telling us church attendance is down by 25%. And I wonder how many of those people have said, yeah, I'm tired of praying for this to happen. I'm tired of being around people who mm -hmm. are, you know, they say they're singing and praising God and they're off, their prayers are being answered. Uh, what? How do you how do you hope people use this book? What is your recommendation for someone who gets a copy of this and says, all right, prayers book, you know, <laughs> do, do what you're supposed <laughs> do to do, Karen. Help do me. Something. Yeah. Yeah. You know, my hope is that it will indeed um, give them a, a moment to pause. They don't have to think about what to say themselves. So they can read this prayer, see if they connect with it. Um, see if it offers them any kind of insight. My hope in any book I do is to give a different perspective or to offer a new way to think about something. Mm -hmm. And if it does that and you allow the Holy Spirit to work with you at the same time, 
hopefully you come away with, from that experience and say, wow, that was meaningful to me. That helped me. And one of the things some of my readers of this book have already told me is that they love that it has a question at the end of every prayer that they have to stop and think about. And they carry that with them through the day. And that also helps to refresh their desire to go back to it the next day. My one friend is a pastor. She said, I just I just almost can't wait to see what the question is going to be. Next day. <laughs> yeah, uh, yeah. So I believe that it can be helpful in that way, because if you're feeling stuck about prayer or you feel like I've said the same thing for you know five years, nothing's happened. I think a book like this can really help you. Uh, to change that up and go, you know, this this is a kind of awesome, this prayer thing. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. <laughs> it really is. It, it's something I, I, I hope our brothers and sisters in Christ who are listening today don't take for granted the fact that, you know, when you see so many people who are walking around saying, I'm just going to speak this, I'm going to throw it out in the universe and hope that the universe, you know, responds. And it's yeah. like, wait, we have the creator of the universe exactly uh, basically <laughs> at our disposal so it, it doesn't have to be a message in a bottle here i mean you really are talking and and this is something that even some christians don't understand well i need to go through you know my pastor yeah. my priest or whatever and you're encouraging us saying no you literally get to crawl up into god's lap and have a conversation with him you he, get to have a game of catch with him a cup of tea whatever <laughs> whatever works for you it's, to describe that that's all true and one of the ways that i look at the my this prayer book and I use the acronym P-R-A-Y, and I use P as pause, meaning pause mm. and think about who God is, who the creator is, who is this being I'm actually going to have a conversation with. Wow, the more I think about him, the bigger he gets, because yeah. as J.B. Phillips once said, our God is too small. So we try to increase God. We try to make him to be more in my life. The R is remember, remember what God has done for me in the past. You know, mm -hmm. and if I can do that, maybe this struggle will not feel quite as difficult because I can go, you know, he helped me before. I believe he'll help me again. Mm -hmm. And the A is ask, ask whatever your heart wants to ask and be sure your heart is aligned with God. And the Y is yield, surrender, mm. let God be God. Amen. Amen. What a great acrostic. And it's way better than what I used to use, which was push, you know, pray until something happens. Uh -huh. And, and that, that was very yeah. much, you know, looking at my watch, transactional, yeah. tapping the foot. Yeah. Come on, God. It's been a day. It's been an yeah. hour. It's been a year. Um, yes. your, your acrostic makes a lot more sense. Um, <laughs> Thank you. Thank Karen Moore, what a great book and a delightful conversation too. The book is called Prayers to Strengthen Your Soul, 365 Daily Prayers, Refresh Your Prayer Life, and Connect with God. There's a link for the book up at thebottomlineshow.com. Karen, great to get to know you, and thank you for being with us today here on The Bottom Line Show. Thank you, Roger. I hope we get to talk again. Delightful conversation with Karen Moore today here on The Bottom Line, and I want you to have a copy of this book, Prayers to Strengthen Your Soul, 365 Daily Prayers, Refresh Your Prayer Life, and Connect with God. Uh, the link for the book is up at thebottomlineshow.com, and we have at least two, possibly three copies. Uh, no one's getting back to me. No one talks to me during the show. I just, I'm in here doing my thing, and they just kind of carry on, and that's that's fine. Don't worry about me. I'll be fine. 800-227-5278. 800-227-5278. 800 is the number to get you through to the bottom line. Again, Karen Moore is the author of these brand, this brand new book called Prayers to Strengthen Your Soul. 800-227-5278, 800-227-5278, 800-227-5278, the number to get you through to the bottom line. 
On the other side of this break, we're going to sing happy birthday to a woman who I don't know if she's a bottom line listener. Uh, she may be if she's anywhere close to where my kids live. And uh, uh, well, I my bio kids, I've got a daughter and son-in-law and a grandson who live just outside of Houston and a bonus daughter and her husband and their two kids live just outside of Dallas, Texas. As we continue, we're going to sing happy birthday to a, uh, uh, a <laughs> To a woman who's got a remarkable story. She's got people from all over the world coming to wish her happy birthday as well. Uh, when you find out uh, how long she has been alive, and we'll put the picture up at thebottomlineshow.com, you will be amazed. And yet, um, she has one key component to her, uh, her longevity. And I bet you know exactly what it is. We'll talk about it coming up next as The Bottom Line continues. My thanks again to Karen Moore for joining me today here on The Bottom Line, this great new devotional. It's 365 Daily Prayers. The book is called Prayers to Strengthen Your Soul. Refresh your prayer life and connect with God. There's a link for the book up at thebottomlineshow.com. Giving away multiple copies, at least two, possibly three. 800-227-5278. 800-227-5278. 800-227-5278 is the number to get you through to the bottom line. Now, I know that one of the big revelations for me personally, and maybe this is your story too, a lot of bottom line listeners are in the same age range as yours truly. Um, a lot of bottom line listeners we've got we have more active listeners in their 80s and 90s than any other program i know of and if that describes you thank you for listening and god bless you and i'm grateful that you consider us a part of your day to the tune of wanting to be a part of the conversation every day if you fall into the category of being under 50 maybe in your 40s or 30s even 20s glad you're tuning in as well because I tell guests who come on the program, they ask a little bit about it. And a lot of people go to the website, you know, look at the show website, look at my website to see what we're all about. And, and that's very cool. But oftentimes they'll listen to snippets of the program and they kind of get a feel for, you know, who they're getting with this host of theirs. But I, I, I'm always pleasantly surprised. I'll just describe the bottom line show as, okay, it's like going to church, a church that's kind of in a small to medium market town. And you've got all different generations and you're the speaker guest of the program and everybody came to the service you know so you got little kids there you got adults you got older adults and 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 that's all very well and good uh, that usually makes them smile quite a bit and i i'm grateful that it does because i mean that's really the way i look at where we are right now i mean I, i've been in pulpit ministry for years i've been in lay ministry uh currently my pulpit ministry is right here with y'all uh each and every weekday and i'm grateful for that opportunity to do so but i i wanted to I, I discovered a new term this week, and I wanted to share it with you for a couple reasons. First of all, because it's uh, something to do with a woman who is uh, now, here's the term, super centenarian. You ever heard that before? I had never heard that term before. I know that um, centenarian is somebody who has lived a century or more. So somebody who is in their 100s is a centenarian. What is a super centenarian? Well, let me introduce you to her. Elizabeth Francis lives just outside of Houston, Texas. She recently celebrated a birthday. Now, she is the oldest person alive in the great state of Texas. She is the second oldest person alive in the United States. She is the seventh oldest person alive in the world. Uh, I mentioned 
teasing this segment that when it was time for her to celebrate her birthday, her daughter, Dorothy Ray Williams, traveled into town. Dorothy Ray Williams is 94. Okay, now let that sink in. 94-year-old daughter came in with her family to celebrate mom's birthday. Um, Mom still lives at home, by the way. Elizabeth Francis does. Uh, lives on her own, has someone to help as far as caregiving goes. Mom was born, get out your calculator. I, I'm not just going to tell you how old she is. Come on, what fun would that be? Right? I mean, see, now, what, what's ironic is when we're at home telling a story or something like that, or if I'm with friends, I'm the guy who says cut to the chase. But then get in front of the microphone, start doing the radio program, and I'm like, hey, let me tell you about my friend Elizabeth Francis. She's got a 94-year-old daughter, and she has a sister who lives a, is over 100 as well. And, well, here's the, uh, here's the payoff. Elizabeth Francis was born in 1909. We are currently living in 2023. Do the math. Elizabeth Francis recently celebrated her 114th birthday. That's right. 100... No, I'm... <laughs> I'm not going to say 114 candles on the cake. Call the fire marshal. But, you know, it's just, it's amazing. Now, in addition to her family coming in, uh, there were some other very special guests. Um, A researcher from the state of Florida came to record the birthday, along with a film crew from Norway. Uh, I mentioned Dorothy Williams, uh, Ethel, uh, excuse me, uh, Elizabeth Francis's daughter. Uh, Dorothy Williams is a, a 94 years young. When, she said, whenever I tell people how old my mother is, first they look at me, she said, that they look at me in disbelief. They don't say you're crazy. They just say, no, you're lying. There's no way. I mean, you're 94. What do you mean your mother's still alive? Well, <laughs> think about this. Um, Elizabeth Francis still lives at home. Elizabeth Francis was born at home. By the way, when she was born in 1909, the president of the United States was William Howard Taft. When Elizabeth Howard was born, she had two strikes against her when it came to voting, being a woman and being a woman of color. Guys, can we let that sink in for a second? For those who would, just a quick little uh, history lesson here in the United States. For people who are concerned about the constant push of the glass ceiling or the civil rights movement or those who would say, hey, you know what? I mean, things are getting better, so why do we have to keep harping on this? Okay, here's exhibit A as to why maybe not harping, but maybe at least having a conversation about these types of things is important. When Elizabeth Francis was born in 1909, being a woman, she could not vote because she was a woman. And being a black woman, she was faced with the prospect of growing up in a country where she could not vote either, either because of her skin color or because of her gender. So as much as we appreciate the progress made in the United States and the freedoms that we enjoy here in the United States as we just celebrated, what, our 247th birthday, right? Yeah, 1776, 2023. Let's remember that 247 years, that's great, but it's only been in the last 104 years that women could vote. 
and we didn't get the voting rights thing right until about 1964, 65. So please understand that the good news of someone like Elizabeth Francis's legacy is that in spite of the fact that, yeah, we know what all the, uh, how did you live to be so long, Elizabeth? Well, I eat a lot of vegetables. I eat a lot of fruit. I avoid fast food. Can you imagine being born in 1909, living life today, and someone's saying, hey, for your birthday, let's go to In-N-Out. I, uh, she says, I live a healthy lifestyle. She said, I, I, she said, look at me. I look like a young chicken. Well, she looks way better than a young chicken. But please understand, when people come at the society and even in the church and say, you know what? Gosh, we've got a lot of work to do in the U.S. Please give them the benefit of the doubt. Elizabeth Francis is a reminder that women couldn't vote until the 1920s. And the Voting Rights Act of 1964 leveled the playing field so that all Americans had an equal shot at voting. That was only 60 years ago. I mean, that happened in my lifetime. It happened in your lifetime. Okay, so the big reveal here with Elizabeth Francis's story is what does she attribute to being the secret to living so long? I mentioned the lifestyle in terms of exercise, growing your own vegetables, avoiding fast food, but there's one key component that she would offer as words of wisdom for someone who wants to live to be 114 or maybe just 106 like her younger sister, who's still alive, by the way. We'll talk about that coming up next as the bottom line continues. You can protect against market volatility without investing all your money into bonds. Wilson Financial has simply better alternatives. The last 12 months, there has been almost $1.7 trillion invested in investment-grade bonds. This move to safety locks up money for a long time of guaranteed low returns. Why? Market volatility. Well, my comment is why go with low earnings for a long time when you can get great earnings with a solid real estate-backed investment paying you 6% over the next three years. After three years, you can invest in another option, or you can do what most of our investors do and reinvest in another one of our new exclusive 6% accounts. This strategy gives you the best of both options without settling for many years of low returns. Our 3D Money 6% account pays you great interest while you're not subjecting yourself to market volatility. Call 800-696-9970, 800-696-9970, or visit kbrightradio.com slash Wilson Financial and ask about Dennis Wilson's exclusive real estate-backed 6% investment account. Wilson Financial Services, for simply better alternatives. Welcome back to the Bottom Line Show. I'm Roger Marsh. we got a birthday party going on here for Elizabeth Francis. She was born in 1909. She is the oldest person alive in Texas, the second oldest person alive in the United States, and the seventh oldest person alive in the world. That after celebrating her 114th birthday last week. She gave an interview to a television station, KTRK. She's from the Houston area. And uh, when asked what the secret to her longevity is, uh, some people think it's genetic. I mentioned earlier that she has a sister who is 106 and still with us. She has a daughter who's 94. Uh, Elizabeth now qualifies as a super centenarian because she's 114 years of age. But she said, quite frankly, um, this is the, uh, the wisdom that she likes to share with other people. Eat vegetables, sure, avoid fast food. But then she said, look, I think generosity is key. Treat people the way you want to be treated, even though it might not be reciprocated. 
But that's not the way God wants you to be. He wants you to be generous and he wants you to be kind. She said she never smoked or drank. She ate everything she ever wanted to. Uh, But she said she also remembered how her family cooked homemade meals. Whenever you went to her house, didn't matter what was going on with her family, somebody was cooking a meal. But this is the the thing. She's got three grandchildren in addition to her daughter, five great-grandchildren, four great-great-grandchildren. But when she asked, you know, what was the main reason, she said, I don't really know. I just thank the good Lord for keeping me in his care. Generosity. Treat people the way you want to be treated. And then the key words of wisdom that are so lost on today's younger people, especially. She said, treat people the way you want to be treated, even though it won't always be reciprocated. It won't always be returned. You may not get that return in this life, but you will definitely get it in the life to come. All right. It warmed up. You ready to go? Here we go. We're going to sing happy birthday to the second oldest person in the United States, Elizabeth Francis, who just turned 114 years old. Ready? Happy birthday to you. Happy birthday to you. Happy birthday, dear Elizabeth. Happy birthday to you. Love it. 114 years of age. And uh, may God bless you, Elizabeth, for as many more years as the Lord has in store for you. But how fun is it going to be to know that we will spend eternity uh, singing the praises of our Lord and Savior with this special woman? Uh, We've got a link for her story up at thebottomlineshow.com and a nice little picture of her enjoying her birthday as well. For our KCBC audience, enjoy the rest of your day. Rabbi Schneider is coming up next with Discovering the Jewish Jesus. We're still taking your calls on Karen Moore's prayer book, by the way. 800-227-5278. It's Good News Friday, and we're giving stuff away. 800-227-5278. This great prayer devotional by Karen Moore. 800-227-5278 is the number to get you through to the bottom line. Okay, for those who remain on the network, you know how much I loathe the fact that members of the House and Senate are often so divided on so many issues. But what makes it even worse is when there's an issue that divides the nation, And these guys seem to be united in their division. Well, I've got some good news about immigration and the immigration bill that's coming up next as the bottom line continues. Good news, good news, good news. Welcome to this Good News Friday edition of the Bottom Line Show, or should I say welcome back to this Good News Friday edition of the Bottom Line Show. I'm Roger Marsh for the final Good News Friday of the month of August, and congratulations to everybody who called in for the outstanding prayer devotional by Karen Moore, who was my guest in the first hour of the program. The book is called Prayers to Strengthen Your Soul. It's from the 365 Daily Prayer Series. Refresh your prayer life and connect with God. 800-227-5278 is the number to get you through to the bottom line. And uh, if you haven't uh, called in yet, give Crystal a call because like I said at the beginning of the program, sometimes she gets a little carried away on Good News Friday and people are calling in for resources and we might've already given those books away, but we may have others. I mean, I'm just going to leave that between you and her and God. 800-227-5278, the number to get you through to the bottom line. Hey, let's, let's talk immigration for just a moment. I mean, it's Good News Friday, and we have a Good News Friday story that involves immigration. Yeah, you heard that right. A bipartisan bill that involves immigration. But you know, it's, it's really interesting. 
when I see people in the social media realm having this conversation, you see it too. What's the first thing that happens? The people who want to try to quote unquote argue about this issue will lay out their cards, you know, and basically say, here's the deal. I don't like to see illegals storming the border and swarming those uh, border towns like Galveston and Laredo and San Diego and Phoenix and, you know, parts of uh, Arizona. And and this was an eye opener for me. I didn't realize this, but uh, it keeps going along the southern border of the United States. When we first started doing the bottom line show years ago. Um, there was a big thing about the real ID and the uh, was E-Verify and all that stuff. And my co-host at the time was passionately against E-Verify. But I remember we did a story on uh, uh, the uh, agricultural community in Alabama. And I thought, well, I remember, you know, hearing the stories of the South and primarily cotton and maybe tobacco in the in the deep South. But in terms of agriculture, it didn't seem like Alabama, Georgia, and places like that were still hotbeds of agriculture. Boy, was I wrong. Not only was I wrong, but I learned a valuable lesson about the E-Verify system and how many people who used to come in on work visas to the United States, they were in California all the time. They would come across from Mexico. They would have a work visa for a certain season, maybe the season to harvest a certain crop. And they'd be here long enough to make a really good wage. They'd send the money home to Mexico and then they'd hop on their bikes or cars or whatever and head on back. And they came here every year and did this and we didn't seem to have a problem with it. We didn't have people who were wanting to come in and stay for months or years on end. And over the course of several years, what we've seen is the issue with immigration has become a twofold problem, really a nightmare for the average American citizen. Problem number one is people coming in illegally and looking for the perks that they have been told by the U.S. government that would be waiting for them here. You know, there are, there's a steady stream of people who want to immigrate into the U.S. I mean, the immigration problem that we talk about with people coming here illegally, it's not just as simple as saying, put up a fence, put up a wall, whatever it is, send all the people who came here illegally home, problem solved, wipe your hands of it, it's all done. But understanding that the solutions that we as government keep coming up with, well, I'm not in the government, but you know what I mean, our government comes up with for these solutions don't solve the problems. Um, when George W. Bush was president, well, heck, let's go back to 1986. Ronald Reagan had an amnesty program that was designed to say, okay, everybody was here, you get amnesty, which makes you citizens. You could just uh, assimilate into the culture like you already have, but now you don't have to worry about being deported, full stop. Okay, there, there, we, we solved the problem. Well, no, we didn't because people keep coming in illegally. Why do they come in illegally? Why doesn't anyone ask the question about why people come in illegally? I mean, there are a million plus people who come in from Central and Latin America into the U.S. legally every year. They don't seem to have a problem finding the INS office. They don't seem to have a problem finding Homeland Security, getting the paperwork going, getting the green card happening, getting in line for citizenship, taking the test, passing the test. Gosh, you see them all over the place. There's a guy who was just traded from the, uh, what team? The New York Mets. He was traded to the, my beloved Los Angeles Angels of Anaheim, right at the trade deadline or maybe right before. It was, it was right before, I, I stand corrected, because he had been with the Angels maybe half an hour when they showed this guy, Eduardo Escobar, I believe is his name, um, who was ready to be sworn in as a U.S. citizen. Now, he was not sworn in as a citizen because he moved from New York to California. 
he had been taking the coursework. He had done the due diligence. He was all documented and ready to go. And there he was right before the 4th of July, waving a flag saying, this is the greatest day of my life. We love stories like that, don't we? I mean, think about the immigration system for just a moment. I mean, there are people who fall into one of two categories. So I mentioned category number one, build the wall, deport the illegals, keep the bad people out, stop the coyotes, stop the cartels, etc. There's a lot going on in that argument. Do we need to stop the coyotes and the cartels? Absolutely. There are thousands, if not hundreds of thousands of people every year who don't know what the proper process is to legally get yourself from Nicaragua or Guatemala or you know Mexico into the United States. By the way, we don't seem to have the same problem with Canadians storming the border. I'm not sure why. But nonetheless, when, when it comes to legal versus illegal immigration, there are two schools of thought. One school is everybody seems to know how to do this. And the other school is, well, what about the other group? Well, why are they paying $3,500 a person to a coyote, which is the slang for someone who smuggles somebody across the border to get them here illegally? And once they come in, I've, in many cases, we've had many of these guests on the Bottom Line show in the past, dig through the archives, especially back in 2014, 2015, right after the passage of Prop 35, and ask the question, how many young girls were brought into this country illegally, turned out as prostitutes, got arrested and got stuck in the criminal justice system that way, and then we're looking for a way to kind of uh, get out of that life and get into a more uh, a life filled with human dignity as opposed to this Europe piece of uh, chattel. And it's amazing to me to see the number of folks who on the Democrat side of the equation saying, we just need more numbers. We'll just flood the border states with people. We'll give them all sorts of freebies. They'll vote Democrat because we basically gave them the rights as citizens, but then also told them you're victimized and you're oppressed and you, you can't fend for yourself. But then on the GOP side, every time a guy like George W. Bush came, like he did in 2006, I believe it was, with an immigration plan, oh no, we can't have that because the GOP seems to love big labor, loves to love cheap labor, and why would they want to give that up? So you've got Democrats in the House and Senate who like the numbers because they think it's tilting the scale in their favor and they'll always get elected and reelected. And those Democrats right now are sweating in their boots because of the number of Hispanics that are turning away from democratic socialism and progressivism and they're voting more faith and values, which is lining them up with the, the GOP. The other side of the equation, though, is the GOP doesn't want to change the, the immigration laws because they like the people who come in here and work under the table and keep their businesses going. In some cases, paying taxes, but in other cases, not. And again, I'm, everything I'm sharing with you is anecdotal based on what people have told me during the 12 years of hosting the Bottom Line Show, whether it's emails or calls or whatever. So immigration reform seems like one of those unattainable ideals it seems like the political football that nobody wants to take into the end zone and spike nobody wants to win this game because as it stands right now they have more time better success quote unquote not winning it's it's john boehner and paul ryan when they were there was a republican majority in the house of representatives and they were the speaker of the house and all they could do is clutch their pearls and say you know the john boehner line well we're going to vote for the 49th time to overturn obamacare knowing it'll go nowhere in the senate but we'll could tell our constituents and they'll reelect us 
And then Paul Ryan clutching his pearls going, Donald Trump's a bad guy and I'm going to quit. And my Democrat wife and I are going to go, <laughs> you know, put on my warranty rat costume from uh, American Tail. I, it's just no one cares about those guys anymore. We just we're, we want politicians that make yes, yes and no, no. And we wonder when we see a lot of these same people from the House and the Senate um, on Democrat or Republican, doesn't matter, saying we're people of faith, but we have these bitter political divides? Why? I mean, if you're committed to being a peacemaker, not a peacekeeper, if you're divided, uh, committed to unifying people instead of dividing them, an issue like immigration reform seems to be a bellwether moment. It seems to be the type of thing that really could divide or unite the country. If we get it wrong, we're dividing, of course, and if we get it right, we're uniting. So why is it that we've had such a hard time putting something like this together? Well, Mike Adkins is an op-ed writer for the Christian Post, and recently he posted a, uh, an article that actually gives us a little bit of hope with regard to his pastor of Open Door Church in Winterville, North Carolina. He brought up a couple of key points about something called the Dignity Act. It is a comprehensive immigration reform bill that is aiming to do what so many people are hoping to see happen in this country. And that is to strengthen the border security, but also to clear the path, make it more accessible for people who want legal status as documented immigrants or actual citizens to get that without having to wait 20 years and pay thousands of dollars. How is the Dignity Act going to accomplish this? Let's get into this on the other side of the break as the bottom line continues. You know, I'll never forget the moment I met my grandson, Isaac. It actually wasn't in the delivery room. That was the first time I held him. But the first time I actually met Isaac was when I went with his mother to her ultrasound appointment. And the ultrasound technician showed us a picture of that eight-week-old baby in the womb. Uh, you know, I encourage you to contact Preborn right now and make a donation to provide that same experience for another family. Maybe there's someone in your family who's expecting a child right now. They've had the ultrasound. You've seen the picture. You've heard the heartbeat. And you think, wow, how can I bless someone else. Studies show that 83% of the women who go to a preborn clinic and see that ultrasound either choose to become mothers and raise the children on their own or release the child for adoption. It cuts the risk of it cuts the rate of abortion dramatically. But your donations are necessary right now to get more ultrasound machines into preborn health clinics. Give a gift online when you go to kbrightradio.com and click the banner that says preborn. Cute little baby there wrapped up in a blanket. Or give a gift over the phone. 833-850-BABY, 833-850-BABY, that's 833-850-2229. Call Preborn, make a donation. Every ultrasound machine could do 250 ultrasounds per year, so give a gift right now. Welcome back to this Good News Friday edition of the Bottom Line Show. I'm Roger Marsh, and I'm almost giddy uh, to know that there is a bill that has been presented in the House of Representatives that is aiming to accomplish what we've not seen accomplished in our lifetimes. It's a bipartisan collaboration. Uh, Congresswoman Maria Elvira Salazar of Florida, she's a Republican, and Veronica Escobar, a Democrat from Texas, have introduced something called the Dignity Act. Now, this is not a compromise by any stretch of the imagination, but rather it is a comprehensive border reform or immigration reform bill. 
Now, what we, we have not seen, other than, was it uh, Section 42 or whatever that uh, President Trump passed uh, during COVID, which was designed to make it tougher to get in to the U.S., and it actually cut, the idea was to stop the spread of COVID because we were told that COVID was coming from everywhere and was coming to get us and eat us alive. And, um, and it actually did stop the flow of illegal immigration. Of course, then the Biden administration wanted it to be removed because they like the flow of illegal immigration. And it's, Republicans like it when it gets stopped, but they don't mind it when it actually gets through. But the last real piece of immigration reform we saw, remember the DREAM Act that President Obama was so famous for championing? He took a targeted number of young people. It was strategic in terms of a voting block. The Democrats really you know, covet young voters. Well, Republicans do too. But this was 2014, 2015, whenever the DREAM Act passed. Uh, President Obama wanted it to pass because the idea was to, to focus on not the parents who brought the kids in illegally, but kids who'd been brought into this country uh, when they were in diapers, you know, when they were a year old, two years old. I mean, you couldn't, basically, if your parents took you somewhere, you were going there. This was not the unaccompanied minor fiasco that we've had the past few years at the border. Um, by the way, the cages, you know, that we saw that President Trump's putting people in cages and President Trump reminded people, well, President Obama left the cages for me. So um, that, that's, I mean, the, the, the Obama administration, the first three years he was in office, were, I don't want to say incredibly lenient, but they were pretty lax when it came to uh, border issues. Um, but those first three years or so, they were tougher and deported more people than just, I mean, he, he deported more people in three years, I believe, than other presidents did in two terms. It was the second term that all of a sudden it was the DREAM Act and it was, uh, let, let's keep people who are here illegally. I mean, Donald Trump's quote unquote tough immigration reform was he basically just took everything that Barack Obama loosened in his second term and tightened back up to where it was during Bill Clinton, George W. Bush and whatever. It wasn't really that Donald Trump was that tough on immigration. It's just that Barack Obama had loosened the screws a bit. So uh, they needed to be tightened up. They were a little too loose. But this new Dignity Act by Congresswomen Salazar and Escobar basically offers pretty comprehensive immigration reform. Strengthening border security doesn't say anything necessarily about building a wall per se, but that would be a part of, there's 2,100 miles of uh, border wall that would need to be covered. We've got like 800 built or something like that. Um, it would clear the path for the legal status for millions of undocumented immigrants and it, that also people who are in the temporary protected status mode would do it. Um, it would help bring necessary reform for asylum processing, visa backlogs. I mean, it's just a game right now. It's amazing how uh, the, the bill, for example, it would reform the U.S. asylum system to adjudicate most asylum cases made at the border via an asylum officer within 60 days. The problem that we have right now is people will come here, they'll say, I'm claiming asylum, and then they get released and they have a court date where they're supposed to show up and get all that processed and they disappear. Um, there, there's that issue of family unity and brothers and sisters, I'm going to sound really jaded right now. Whenever I hear of the, oh, we've got to reform the border because these poor innocent children are coming to be reunited with their families. I don't believe that for one minute. 
If that is your story, please call me or send me an email. I would love to hear it. I'd love to share it with our bottom line listing family on the air. But I don't believe it's happening. I believe that's part of the ruse. This whole, these people are seeking asylum. It, it does not make any sense to me that let's take a place like Nicaragua, for example. Okay. Uh, Nicaraguan government could be kind of topsy-turvy, but let's say a half million people immigrate to the U.S. from Nicaragua every year and do so legally. How come another 100,000 show up and say, I'm from Nicaragua and I'm freeing my ho- fleeing my homeland because I need asylum because I'm going to die? Well, if you're going to die, how come the 500,000 other people that came here legally didn't have that problem? I mean, there are certain phrases that people are taught to say. Like, for example, when President Biden changed the uh, definition on Title IX to get us in all this transgender mess, one pundit wrote, and this I'm paraphrasing here, hey, you know what? You know what we're going to see? All of a sudden, there's going to be a flood of transgender youth showing up at the border, saying that they can't, they can't get the surgery in Thailand or in South America, but they have to come to El Paso to get it done, right? Not because there are children dealing with gender dysphoria, but because that's one of the terms. That's one of the ways, that's one of the code words you can say to get in. Now, you might say, gosh, Roger, that just sounds a little harsh. That doesn't sound very pastoral. Well, this is the way things are happening at the border. Let me give you an example. A person goes to the hospital during COVID-19. They've got symptoms, but they're not really sure they're sick. They don't want to say, I have COVID, because they're going to get thrown into quarantine. It's going to get shaved with a cone around their neck like Monsters, Inc., right? It's, it's, it's not going to be pretty. Depending on how much money the hospital could get out of them, they're probably going to be treated that way rather than what are your symptoms. But if the person comes into the hospital and says, I think I'm going to throw up, that's probably going to get their attention more and they'll get you into a room faster than someone who comes in and says, oh, I feel kind of feverish. In the same way, people come to the border that have been coached. They're not looking for asylum, but if they know that they say, I'm looking for asylum, that changes the way the game is played. And if a young person comes and says, I'm transgender and I'm seeking asylum at the border, that's just because that's the way the game is played right now. The Dignity Act, this is why this is a Good News Friday story, the Dignity Act would actually change that Instead of playing the game the way they normally do, they would put a 60-second time limit on it. Well, what about the border asylum officers, you ask? Well, that's where the $3.5 billion extra U.S. dollars come in to hire enough of these asylum officers. Okay, you're here. You're going to get processed. We're going to get you in the system. We're going to see how serious you are about becoming a citizen, a tax-paying citizen, a citizen that doesn't automatically qualify for freebies. Now, what about those who came here, though? I mean, the, the key aspects of the system, they, there's going to be a targeted focus, of course, on protecting family unity and providing employment-based opportunities. We want you to be a productive member of our society. But here's the thing that is just really interesting about this. What about the dreamers? Remember President Obama's big thing, the DREAM Act. If you were brought here by your parents, you were two or three years of age. This is the only life you've ever known. Now you're 17, 18, 19. You graduated from high school. You want to go to college, but you can't get a green card. You never had the right paperwork. You're a quote unquote undocumented person. Well, guess what? Under the DREAM Act, now all you have to do is say, I'm a dreamer, and they'll let you stay till you're 21 or extended to 22 or 23. You kind of get this temporary status. 
It doesn't lead to citizenship, though. It was a cul-de-sac with a, that looked like a cul-de-sac that turned into a dead end. And I could not, for the life of me, understand why they were so proud of that. If the whole point for these kids who were brought here, and I don't want to say against their will, that sounds horrible. If you're two years old and your parents say we're going for a better life, you go. You know, you're still stuffing things in your mouth and your nose and your eyes and your ears, right? You're, you're, not, you're not thinking about your constitutional rights. You're thinking, wow, this pencil has an eraser and that makes it easier to go right up my right nostril when you're two <laughs> or, or when you're in college, I guess. But the idea is the documented dreamers will age out if their parents' work-based visa uh, is still intact, in but you're 21 you know, uh, years of age. The Dignity Act establishes an immigration agency coordinator to oversee immigration functions, authorizes $3.5 billion to improve the processing and reduce the backlogs. You know your neighbor who's trying to immigrate and it takes them 17 years to become a naturalized citizen? Well, here's the reason why this Dignity Act has so many of us in the evangelical community interested. We're going to get into the scriptural part about why this is so important. And maybe this is the finally the true reason why we have reason to rejoice about immigration reform here in the U.S. We'll talk about that coming up next as the bottom line continues. You can protect against market volatility without investing all your money into bonds. Wilson Financial has simply better alternatives. The last 12 months, there has been almost $1.7 trillion invested in investment-grade bonds. This move to safety locks up money for a long time of guaranteed low returns. Why? Market volatility. Well, my comment is why go with low earnings for a long time when you can get great earnings with a solid real estate-backed investment paying you 6% over the next three years. After three years, you can invest in another option, or you can do what most of our investors do and reinvest in another one of our new exclusive 6% accounts. This strategy gives you the best of both options without settling for many years of low returns. Our 3D Money 6% account pays you great interest while you're not subjecting yourself to market volatility. Call 800-696-9970, 800-696-9970, or visit kbrightradio.com slash Wilson Financial and ask about Dennis Wilson's exclusive real estate-backed 6% investment account, Wilson Financial Services, for simply better alternatives. Welcome back to this Good News Friday edition of the Bottom Line Show. I'm Roger Marsh. The good news is a Republican congresswoman from Florida and a Democratic congresswoman from Texas have have pitched, if you will, introduced the Dignity Act, which is a comprehensive immigration reform bill. Now, if you've heard this program for any length of time, you know I've been, this frustrates the heck out of me. Why Democrats just keep throwing money at people who come here illegally and not try to help them become citizens, and why Republicans do the same thing because they want the cheap labor. But an author and a pastor by the name of Mike Atkins has written a really great op-ed piece that was up in the Christian Post, and we've got it up at thebottomlineshow.com, that talks about the biblical approach that the Dignity Act takes to the issue of immigration. Deuteronomy chapters 10, verses 17 through 19, it's God's call to the nation of Israel to live in such a way that pleases him by reflecting his character. It says that, remember, orphans and widows need to receive justice. He shows love to the foreigners living around you and gives them food and clothing. So you too must show love to the foreigners for you yourself were once foreigners in the land of Egypt. Now that word foreigner can be translated as sojourner, but understand what that sojourner term is actually a reference to. 
People are created in the image of God, of course, and every human being has human dignity and value in that regard. But the sojourner was someone who came into a country and said, I want to be here for a certain period of time. What are the rules that I need to abide by? Do I need to sign up to register as kind of a temporary, temporarily living here and working here? I'll do it. And then you show them the kindness. The problem with a lot of American leftist churches is they'll look at this and say, somebody's snuck in here from some other country and let's just give them a bunch of free stuff. Instead of saying, no, wait a minute. Human dignity says, you, I want to ask you why you're here. What did you come for? Did you come for family? Did you come for work? Did you come for education? How long are you planning on staying here? And if you're planning on staying here for a short period of time, we could do a student visa or a temporary visa or a work-related visa. But if you are wanting to stay here and become a citizen, we will help you on the path to citizenship. Don't just do the blind eye asylum freebie handout, but don't also do the, we're putting up a wall, nobody gets in here. But please do remember, Borders and boundaries aren't bad things. Rules and requirements to dwell in certain places aren't bad things either. Otherwise, heaven would be a free-for-all. Jesus said in John 14, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father but by me. Paul says in Romans 10, if you confess with your mouth that Jesus is Lord and you believe in your heart God raised him from the dead, you will be saved. Not everyone is going to heaven. Jesus died to pay the penalty for the sin of the world. God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son that whosoever believes in him would not perish but have everlasting life. God did not send his son into the world to condemn the world, but that the world might be saved through him. But then verse 18, but people love darkness rather than the light. And they chose to avoid the light so as not to expose their evil deeds. God invites us into the light with no condemnation saying if you will repent of the sin leave that sin at the foot of the cross you can have a new life so heaven has borders heaven requires a passport heaven requires uh, citizenship entrance but that citizenship is available to all who will place their faith and trust in our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ that is good news and that's the bottom line